1: Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 2.
2: Greetings, conversationalists. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across America. The phone number, should you wish to call, 877-973-7425. We have, well, fretful anxiety across the news media over what's happening in Israel, which is... Sad. Uh, David Harsanyi um, at The Federalist actually has a real breakdown of And it's stuff that, that I've known and heard about. I haven't spent a lot of time on it because they dropped the legislation in the past, but they brought it back up. And the national media in this country is obsessed with it. Uh, the left is really angry. I want to explain this situation to you. You can be smarter than your friends when it comes to this topic. So, Bibi Netanyahu is the prime minister of Israel. And the Knesset, which is the Israeli parliament, has now passed legislation that will curtail the Israeli Supreme Court's ability to stop uh, blocking legislation and appointments in Israel. And you should know, and this is the contentious issue here, the Supreme Court of Israel has made a power grab. Now, we need to back up a little bit. In the United States of America, we have the oldest still-used constitution on the planet. There are countries that are older than ours, but they don't have constitutional structures. Uh, The United Kingdom, for example, doesn't have a constitution. The United Kingdom has a set of rules and traditions that over time uh, are called the British Constitution, but there's no written document that you can point to. There's an amalgamation of laws going back to the Magna Carta, the English Bill of Rights, and others that constitute the constitutional framework of Great Britain, but they don't actually have a written constitution. We do. When Israel was formed after 1947, after World War II, uh, as Great Britain was exiting its empire building in the Middle East, the Israeli government, after its declaration of independence and the removal of British judges from the area, left uh, Jewish judges in place. They founded the nation of Israel and they passed the basic laws of Israel. They're individual laws, they're not a constitution. They are Uh, by fiat of the Israeli Supreme Court considered the Israeli Constitution, but they're not really a constitution. But they are the basic laws describing the creation of the Knesset, the creation of the judicial system, the creation of the the presidency, how the the interplay of the two or of the three branches. uh, But they're not really a constitution. The Israeli Supreme Court, however, has taken for itself powers. Now, There are some in this country who say that the United States Supreme Court took for itself the matter of judicial review with Marbury versus Madison and and other uh, rulings in the court that our United States Supreme Court does not explicitly in the Constitution have the right of judicial review to declare things constitutional or not. Actually, if you read the Federalist Papers and you understand the thinking of the founders, the founders believed that each branch of government would determine for itself what was constitutional or not. The Supreme Court would. The executive would. In fact, when George Washington issued vetoes, Washington's vetoes were not Philosophical vetoes based on party-line goals, but based on his idea that things that Congress was passing were unconstitutional, and he vetoed them as a declaration of his thinking that they were unconstitutional, not because he had a party preference for the Federalist Party or himself. But it flows from our constitutional structure as one of the checks and balances on the executive and the legislative that the Supreme Court of the United States would, in fact, be the arbiter of what does the law mean and whether or not it's constitutional or not. You can logically flow that. In Israel, here's the problem. You can't. The Israeli Supreme Court, though, has gone beyond our U.S. Supreme Court because the Israeli Supreme Court has no constitution to bind it. So the Israeli Supreme Court has taken for itself the power of nullification of Knesset or parliamentary law, but also the removal of members of the Israeli cabinet. Israel has a parliamentary system. You have a prime minister who forms a cabinet. They serve as a quasi-executive role. There is a president who has some limited powers in Israel, but it really the power is with the prime minister. And what the Israeli Supreme Court has decided it is allowed to do is to tell parliament that you can't pass a law that has been passed and you can't put someone in the cabinet you want to put in, and the Supreme Court can also remove individuals from the cabinet. The Supreme Court has taken that power for itself. There's no legislation giving it that power. It's just decided it has that power. So in the United States, if you want to remove someone from the president's cabinet, the legislature has to hold an impeachment trial and remove the person. In Israel, the Supreme Court can just say that person can't be in the government. And they use a reasonableness standard. The Supreme Court of Israel decides that a law or an appointment is unreasonable and therefore must be gotten rid of. And now this is the twist who picks the israeli supreme court in this country the president makes a nomination and that nomination must be confirmed by the united states senate the president cannot unilaterally pack the supreme court in israel the supreme court packs itself can you imagine Joe Biden is very upset with these changes in Israel. So uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu has been able to pass a law that says the Israeli Supreme Court can no longer nullify acts of parliament. Parliament is supreme in Israel. That's the way the basic laws of Israel, written in the 1940s, meant for it to be, what the parliament passes something democratically. The next parliament can undo it, but the Supreme Court cannot block it as being unreasonable. That's what this new law clarifies, that the Israeli Supreme Court has no power to declare a law passed by the Knesset as unreasonable. If you don't like that, draft a constitution for Israel, which Israel does not have. Uh, The Israeli Knesset is very much like the English Parliament. The English Parliament can pass a law, and the courts in Great Britain can't suspend it for being unreasonable. They can't suspend it for being unconstitutional. There is no constitution with which to weigh it. There's no constitution in Israel. So now imagine if in this country, when a vacancy comes up on the United States Supreme Court, that the Supreme Court itself picks its replacements. So Joe Biden, nor Donald Trump, nor any Republican, nor any Democratic president can pick the members of the U.S. Supreme Court. And because the U.S. Supreme Court has a six to three center right slant, the U.S. Supreme Court picks center-right judges to replace them on the Supreme Court. So when Elena Kagan goes away, Clarence Thomas, Sam Alito, uh, Amy uh, Coney Barrett, Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, and John Roberts, they get together and they say, you know what? We're going to pick another conservative for that spot. The left would be beside themselves. But that's what's happening in Israel. So there is technically a Judicial Qualifications Commission in Israel. It has nine members, but three of those members are from the Israeli Supreme Court. Two of the members of the commission are from the Israeli Bar Association, one of whom has to be a professor of law. So you have two liberals on the bar and two and three liberals on the court. And then you have four political appointees from the government. You need seven people on this nine-member board. You need seven to confirm someone. Well, the three Israeli Supreme Court justices who get to pick the justices who will be on the commission. They rotate off every three years and they put their friends from the Supreme Court on. They serve as a veto block. So the prime minister says, I want this person to be on the Israeli Supreme Court. The three Israeli Supreme Court justices say, no, you need seven votes. You can't get them without the three of us. Sorry, you can't do it. Pick somebody else. Not only that, the Israeli Supreme Court gets to tell the Attorney General of Israel that you can or cannot be the Attorney General. It's picked by the Prime Minister, and then they say, Nope, we don't want you as Prime Minister. Sorry, you can't be the Prime Minister, you, you can't be the Attorney General. You got a conflict. We find you unreasonable. The Israeli Supreme Court, in other words, has decided that it can be an autocratic institution. All of this hand-wringing about, oh my gosh, the Israeli uh, Knesset and, and Benjamin Netanyahu, they, they want to be authoritarian. No, this is about restoring democracy to Israel. It's not Netanyahu who's authoritarian, it's the Israeli Supreme Court. This is so Orwellian that we're even having to have this discussion. The Israeli Supreme Court took for itself the power of nullifying parliamentary actions, took for itself the power of vetoing parliamentary appointments, and took for itself the power to appoint itself. It did that all, unilaterally. The Knesset never said you had this power. The parliament, duly elected by people, has never said that. And now, when you listen to the American media, when you listen to the Israeli media that leans left, when you listen to the loud voices online, you hear a bunch of angry progressives who realize that the parliament of Israel is reasserting its authority, its democratic authority, to be the chief arbiter of what it says. What's so interesting though, is that now the Associated Press is covering the protests. The protests, they are grassroots. Actually, they're divided. You see, uh, Israel's labor unions, which are on the left, have sent out all of the union activists to protest, but actually, conservative activists are in the streets as well. When the media tell you there are these massive protests about the law in Israel, what they're not telling you is that the protesters are evenly split and they're not coming to violence, they're not coming to blows. They're protesting each other, they're protesting the sides, but they're showing democracy in action. You're not getting a fair view of what's happening from the American media. You've got Thomas Friedman hand-wringing in the New York Times about uh, the end of Israeli democracy. What's the end of Israeli democracy? That the Supreme Court of Israel can no longer block democratic acts, or that the democratic legislature acting democratically can stop the Supreme Court from blocking democratic actions. Now, it's true this is a fight about power. It's absolutely true. This isn't just about democracy. It's not about the high-mindedness of the arguments on either side. This is a fight over power. The right and the left in Israel want power. The right has successfully been able to get itself elected repeatedly in Israel. My gosh, they've had elections like every five months in a row, and they keep bringing up these right-of-center governments, and yet the Supreme Court of Israel keeps blocking the things they want to do in the name of democracy when they're not the democratically elected body, and they're relying on the media to tell you this is about a fight for democracy when actually the Supreme Court of Israel is autocratic. It picks itself. It renews itself. It blocks the appointments of others. It's taken for itself powers to block democratic legislation. And are you hearing this in the mainstream media in the United States? No. Are you hearing this from Joe Biden? No. You're hearing about autocracy and and authoritarians and totalitarianism. That's what the Israeli Supreme Court is doing. And you're not getting the truth from the American media because the Israeli Supreme Court leans left and so does the media in this country. They're lying to you and they're attacking Netanyahu's government. That, my friends, that's the actual truth of what's happening in Israel, something you are not getting from the American media or Democratic politicians like Joe Biden. Did you know China has made it a priority to teach students financial literacy starting in preschool? Financial literacy isn't taught in our elementary schools, and parents lack the resources to teach it at home. American kids are yet again being left behind. Now there's a great way for parents and grandparents to help the kids they love learn about finance. Thanks to The Sensibles and at bcs-kids.com. The Sensibles are a team of animated superheroes who help kids age 6 to 12 develop smart money habits in a fun way. bcs-kids.com was created to channel this multimedia resource to kids everywhere. Buy a subscription for your loved ones, and each month, they'll get a sensibles kit in the mail with an entertaining DVD, comic book, and activities. Digital subscriptions are also available. They'll also get access to an interactive website with a library of lessons, fun activities, and more. Want 20% off the monthly subscription costs? Visit at bcs-kids.com. Enter the promo code ERIC, my name, E-R-I-C-K. It's the sensible thing to do. Subscribe today at bcs-kids.com. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on the program? Um, what is this? Uh, we'll alarming ad Frank Lunt says, um, we'll, we'll, I'll play this during commercial break and see if it's worth playing for you. There's some new alarming ad about Joe Biden out there. <laughs> it looks intriguing. Okay. All right. All right. We, we got to move on to other stuff. We, we got lots of other stuff to go. Um, those of you in Ohio, I, I need to talk to you. I got a lot of listeners in Ohio and I need to talk to you for just a moment because you're not hearing this in your local newspapers or on your local TV shows. So there's an abortion amendment uh, that is going to be voted on in Ohio and it's, it's in the polls, got majority support. Uh, which is big news. The media is championing that even a majority of Republicans support this. Y'all, this is a trap. This is a trap. It is a trap if ever there has been a trap. And you need to know that it's a trap. It's a trap. Yes, Admiral Akbar, it is a trap. So the law, the constitutional amendment in Ohio, and, and the rest of you pay attention to this because it's this going to happen in your state too. The ACLU, the left wing ACLU, has written this amendment for the Ohio Constitution. And it's being called an abortion amendment, but it's not actually an abortion amendment if you read it. It strips parental rights. It strips parental rights in the name of promoting abortion. It takes away parental consent issues. So, for example, um, you have no right to object to your child being given transition drugs. Uh huh. You have no right to a school giving your child uh, abortifacient drugs. You have no right to be told if your child is transitioning in school. You have no right to be told that your child is attempting to have an abortion. That's what's going on here. This is a deeply nefarious constitutional amendment. Deeply nefarious constitutional amendment conducted by the ACLU. It claims that this is a pro-abortion amendment, but it's so much more expansive than abortion rights. It would strip parental rights in Ohio if it passes. It would embolden progressive judges to take away parents' rights to make education choices for their children, to take away health care um, powers for parents. It would be a massive, massive loss to parental rights in Ohio if it passes. They could have chosen to write this legislation to be very restrictive and just be about abortion. But they chose not to. They chose instead to make it very expansively about stripping parental rights. You need to keep that in mind in Ohio, rather. Very dangerous amendment. They're not telling you the truth about what's in the amendment. Keep that in mind, please. Very big deal. Now, I need to tell you about Patriot Mobile, which is actually uh, fighting these issues around the country, these left-wing amendments around the country that are being misled. As you move your business to Patriot Mobile, they grow their ability to fight for conservatives around the country and fight for the conservative cause. What you do is you go to um, PatriotMobile.com slash Eric, PatriotMobile.com slash Eric. You go there. And you move your cell service to them, you get guaranteed great service. They're using the same cell towers you're already using, more likely than not. And then as they grow their profits, they give a portion to the conservative causes you care about. It's patriotmobile.com Eric. You can also call them 972-PATRIOTS. If you want to do this on the phone instead of online, 972 patriot you call them and you tell them I sent you. You get free activation with my name. You get great discounts if you're a veteran, a first responder, an NRA member, a teacher. You get good discounts for using Patriot Mobile. If you need multiple lines for your house because you got kids who need cell phones, they can save you some money as well. And then as they grow their profits, they grow their giving to the conservative movement. They grow their giving to the Second Amendment cause, the pro-life cause, conservative candidates battling wokes around the country. It's patriotmobile.com slash eric or 972 Patriot. Tell them I sent you. Get free activation with my name, patriotmobile.com slash Eric. All right, my friends, I've listened to it during commercial break. I'm going to play it for you now. This is, according to Frank Luntz, the pollster, the most alarming political ad I've seen this year. Um, we won't go through all the visual, visuals. They show scenes of, of what were claimed to be the election being stolen in 2020 and the like. This is Little bizarre techno ad uh, being pushed out
1: by Trump supporters. If I was the deep state and I wanted to destroy America, I would rig the election with a puppet candidate. Shows Joe Biden. One that was so compromised that they would never say a word about it. I would create a false flag that allows for mail in ballots.
2: I would that was showing the COVID virus spreading.
1: Be in charge of the ballot counting machines. I would create a false flag to blame all who question the results of the election. If I was the deep state, I would prosecute anyone that went against me. I would sue and prosecute anyone that spoke up about the fraudulent election. I would use my powers to shut down all your internet businesses and bankrupt you. If I was the deep state, I would make everyone an example why you should never question a Democrat ever winning an election. I would imprison my foes. I would use my corrupt DAs and blackmailed judges to destroy you. I would make sure all crimes I ever committed never happened. I would prosecute my biggest competition. I would make sure they could never run for office ever again. If I was the deep state, I would convince everyone that Ukraine Nazis were good and women are men. If I was the deep state, I would own every politician that mattered. If I was the deep state, I would push my pedophilia ambitions on you. If I was the deep state, You'd question your sexual identity, but not the medical establishment. If I was the deep state, you would fear to ever resist me. If I was the deep state, you would wish I was really the devil. If I was the deep state, I would say mission accomplished.
2: It says Trump, make America great again. I. It's just, now listen, 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 listen. There are a lot of people, including some of you who just listen to this, who think this is brilliant, and it is. It's actually a brilliant ad because you don't have to think you just take it for granted that uh, the deep state put up Joe Biden it rigged the election it created the Wuhan virus it all ties together very perfectly very neatly very very neatly and you can go from there so it it keeps Donald Trump's supporters, who are still aggrieved by 2020 engaged but it alienates everyone else so, you know this is one of my concerns. This is good, good jumping point here for for everything else to talk about today that I've kind of uh, left behind and and need to get back to. The problem here is that an ad like this really does work wonders in a primary to secure a nomination by ensuring that your base stays with you, convinced that you're fighting the deep state, you alone or or the, the guy who can do it. But then, what does it get you in a general election? You know, the goal and people just tend to forget this, particularly on the Republican side these days. The goal, the The goal is to win a general election, not a primary. So how do you win back the people who walked away from you? Now, I I, got to be honest here. I got to be honest here. I'm not talking to right now those of you who think the election was stolen in 2020. we, we uh, We disagree on that. You think I'm wrong, I think you're wrong, that's fine. But most Americans are on my side of this argument. Whether you want to admit it or not, you know it's true that most Americans don't think it was stolen. So when you relitigate 2020 over it being stolen, you are not persuading the majority of Americans. So how do you get those people back? They weren't with you in 2018. They weren't with you in 2020. They weren't with you in 2022. How do you get them back? Because you need them to win. How do you get them back? And an ad like that um, keeps your base engaged in a primary but doesn't actually get you general election voters. Uh, it mobilizes a those who are with you for your personality, cult personality, whatever you want to call it, to secure you a nomination, but then you need more than just those people to win a general election, and it doesn't seem like this seems to be a fatal problem here. As a lot of Republicans are more interested in feeling uh, like it was they were right, they they want to nurse their grievances than they want to win elections, and this, of course, gets to part of the problem going on with the Republican party right now nationwide. And this is something, if you wanna win in 2024, you gotta pay attention to this. Jim Garrity over at National Review has this this morning. In Arizona, the Arizona Republican party has run out of money. There are two competitive house seats on the line as Republicans look to defend a slim majority in their state house, not to mention Arizona is gonna have a ma- be a major swing state, but the state GOP has $23,000 on cash. $23,000 on cash for perspective, Wisconsin and Ohio both have more than a million in cash on hand. She so had $23,000 cash on hand and Carrie Lake, a trans winner, a loser who identifies as a winner is still convinced uh, she has transitioned to winning, uh, even though she's a loser and she's kept people there whipped into a frenzy. She's distracted the state Republican party. They have lost all their money. How do you hold on to Arizona as a Republican party when you have no money? In Colorado, uh, the Colorado GOP elected Dave Williams. He also believes the 2020 election was stolen and is considering canceling the 2024 Republican primary election. He's also out attacking Republican members of Congress for uh, not siding with things he wants. He's alienating himself from the state GOP elected officials, even as he has ingratiated himself with the grassroots, that state parties become dysfunctional. In Minnesota, recent filings show the Minnesota Republican Party has $54 cash on hand with $335,000 in debt. In Michigan, at least four county parties in Michigan have been at open war with themselves, with members suing one another or putting forward competing slates that claim to be in charge. The night before an April state party meeting, two Republican officials got into a physical altercation at a hotel bar over an attempt to expel members. The state party's new chairwoman, Christina Caramo, has struggled to raise money and abandoned the party's longtime headquarters. Also, the Michigan Republican Party has about $93,000 in its bank, Account 16 months before the November 2024 election. The Georgia GOP spent more in the first six months of 2023 than it paid out in all of 2022 to represent alternate Republican electors targeted amid fulton County's probe into whether Donald Trump and his allies committed crimes trying to overturn the 2020 defeat. Newly filed campaign disclosures show the party paid out more than $520,000 in legal expenses. That's 75% more than what it paid out in 2022 and five times what it spent in 2021. More than 340000 of that went to defend the fake electors who are possible targets in a criminal probe. We're seeing Republicans choose to be self-marginalized. No outside force did this to the GOP. It did it to itself. For all of the flaws of the pre-Trump GOP in Michigan and Minnesota and Arizona and the like, they won elections. In 2014, the Arizona Republicans trounced Democrats up and down the ballot. Now Democrats hold the top three statewide offices and the GOP is hanging on to the state legislative chambers by the fingernails. In 2014 in Colorado, Republican Cory Gardner won a hard-fought Senate race Republicans won the Attorney General, Secretary of State, and Treasurer races. Last year, Colorado voters re-elected the state's Democratic governor by 19%, re-elected its Democratic senator by 14%, gave the Democrats expanded legislative majorities, and handed easy victories to down-ballot Democratic candidates. In 2014, in Michigan, GOP Governor Rick Snyder won re-election, as did Secretary of State Ruth Johnson and Attorney General Bill Shute, and Republicans added seats to their majorities in the state House and state Senate. Today, Democrats hold all the statewide offices and majorities in both chambers. In 2014 in Minnesota, the statewide races were a disappointment for Republicans, but the state GOP won a majority in the state house. They picked up 11 seats to bring its total to 72. Today, Minnesota Republicans hold just 64 seats in the state house. Do you want to win in 2024? If you want to win in 2024... You've got to get the you gotta get the Republican parties functional in these states. You gotta get a candidate who has a message for the future, not a relitigation of the past. The Democrats in 2022 legitimately spent tens of millions of dollars to ensure Republicans would nominate the worst possible candidates in a number of seats. They were open about it. They bragged about it. The media covered it. Remember the the Peter Meyer in Michigan. Peter Meyer was one of the Republicans who voted to impeach Donald Trump. Despite impeaching Donald Trump, despite voting to do that, the Democrats poured a bunch of money in to help his Republican opponent win that seat against Meyer. They attacked Meyer. The Democrats ran ads against Peter Meyer for impeaching Donald Trump. They highlighted that so that the Republican-based voters would throw him out of office and nominate someone else. And the GOP did exactly that. And you know what happened? That guy lost to the Democrats. In Washington, what's his name? Kent beat the other Republican candidate who voted to impeach Donald Trump in a very close race, and then went on to lose to the Democrats. The Democrats picked up two seats by pouring money in to help Republicans who couldn't win the general election. The Trump voters nursed their grudges and then lost the seats to the Democrats. And now it seems like the Democrats are taking that to the presidential level. You cover Trump relentlessly, you indict him repeatedly, you make the Republican base more sympathetic to him, you ensure that Donald Trump gets the Republican nomination and he can't win over general election-only voters. He can't win over that 50% of America that's not engaged in politics except to go vote. He can't win over uh, 13% of the Republican Party. He can't win over a majority of independents. He's become radicalized. And the Trump voters say, Well, you were wrong in twenty sixteen, and I was right in twenty eighteen and twenty twenty and twenty twenty two, and you were wrong. And instead of admitting it, we've concocted stories to tell ourselves to sleep at night. Republicans, do you want to win? Do you want to win? I would like to beat Joe Biden. I don't know if you know this or not, but Clarence Thomas isn't getting any younger. Neither Sam Alito. It would be an ironic, ironic end to the great run conservatives have had in this country to see Joe Biden reelected and Clarence Thomas and Sam Alito replaced by liberals on the Supreme Court who have lifetime appointments. And suddenly the 6-3 majority becomes a 5-4 liberal majority because conservatives couldn't rein in their impulses and their grudges, couldn't show grace and made sure Joe Biden got reelected. That's what the Democrats want. Y'all just think about, just use your logical, non-emotional selves. In 2022, Democrats did everything they could to ensure Republicans got nominated who couldn't beat the Democrats. Do you think they're not gonna try that in the Republican primary? Who are they giving disproportionate attention to in the Republican primary? It's not DeSantis or Scott or Pence. It's the guy they think is most vulnerable. It's the guy the polling shows is most likely to lose. He may not lose. He may surprise them. But if you're a betting man, you know where this is headed. And you've got dysfunctional state parties and states that must be won by the GOP as well. Where everybody's more interested in nursing petty grievances than trying to win, we've got to win Alito and Thomas are not getting any younger to have won the whole Supreme Court. And four years later, watch it all slip through our fingers would be a terrible thing. It's what the Democrats are hoping for. You've got to be smart, reasonable, logical, and not just be driven by grievance and emotion. Americans for Prosperity is trying to help us get there, and they're fighting Bidenomics along the way. They realize free markets and free people are better off than what Joe Biden and the Democrats are offering economically. They want to help America get back on its feet and get revitalized and grow its economy down to the grassroots level where everybody feels the beneficial effects of the economy. They need you on board to help them pursue their message, expand their message, and fight for their message. If you want to be a grassroots warrior for Americans for Prosperity, a do tank, not a think tank. They actually get in the States and they do the hard work of growing the movement. You go to americansforprosperity.org. Americans for for prosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. You go help them fight against these economic regulations in Washington, the economic bureaucracy in Washington, the policies that gave us inflation, the Bidenomics that Biden seems proud of that are wrecking the economy. Americans for Prosperity stands up to it. You go to americansforprosperity.org slash Eric today, org slash E-R-I-C-K. They have 36 state chapters. They're growing in the other states. They want you a part of their movement for free markets and free people and to fight the Ridiculous Economic Agenda coming out of Washington, D.C. Americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on the program, I am delighted to have you on the program if you want to be there. Y'all, um, we live in insane times. We live in genuinely insane times. A mentally unstable man has shot and killed his mentally unstable pregnant girlfriend. And a mentally unstable media has assigned it this headline and I quote, man allegedly shot and killed his pregnant transgender boyfriend and then himself in murder-suicide. Man allegedly shot and killed his pregnant boyfriend, other media outlets said. Uh, Last I checked, a man can't get pregnant. The media is humoring the delusions of the mentally unstable. The media members itself uh, mentally unstable. It's a real tragedy here. It's a real tragedy. Um, But it's also a tragedy fed by mental instability and mental illness in this country, that uh, is being normalized and mainstreamed as if it's no big deal. It's it, it just more and more we're going to crazy town on this sort of, sort of stuff. Man allegedly shot and killed his pregnant transgender boyfriend. It was a Florida man as well. Riley John Groover shot and killed himself after carrying out the homicide. The victim is Camden Ryder, 21, a transgender man who is eight months pregnant.